just a little bit of background, why don't you turn to, and I'm going to put a map up because this is, there's not a whole lot in here because it's really Paul's fourth missionary journey. And before we get to 27 and 28, the last two chapters, let's refresh our memory and um, go back to Paul's witness to Agrippa in 26. And remember in 26, our key verse was, King Agrippa, do you believe, verse 27, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost, and that was the title of our message, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Well, that's how we ended, and uh, we never read 29, 30, 31, and 32. And so we're going to give a little refresher by just reading that, what Paul says to Agrippa in response. And Paul said, well, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am. I want you to have what I have, except for these chains. Now, Paul is going to Rome in chains, and uh, he's going to have a lot of latitude when he gets there, you'll see. And then he says, and when he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, this man is doing nothing worthy of death of chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Okay. Um, We're going on a voyage with verse uh, 1. And let's put the map up on the screen because a lot of our study um, will make a lot more sense if you can actually see the route that he took. Okay, what we're going, most of 27 and 28, 27 is all about the journey there. Uh, The sea voyage might reasonably be called Paul's fourth missionary journey. He was just as active when he went to Rome. He exercised the same latitude. He made as many contacts, and he witnessed just as faithfully as he had on his other three missionary journeys. Chains did not hinder him, even though uh, he made this entire journey in chains. He is the one who said, whenever I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, he's in bonds here, but the word of God is not bound. Also, he wrote to the Philippians that the things which happened to me worked out for the furtherance of the gospel. And of course, this is true for all of us. The trip this time will be a little different from the others. It is to be made at the expense of the Roman government because he is a Roman prisoner. This is a fulfillment of Paul's prayer that he might come to Rome. When Paul appealed his case to Caesar, uh, he was moved out of the jurisdiction of Festus the governor and Agrippa the king. Um, As King Agrippa had said after his case, this man might, we just read it, this man might have had liberty if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. They couldn't do anything about it now. They must uh, send Paul to Rome. In Acts 27, we have the record 
of his voyage to Rome. What we have here might be called the log of the ship. The chapter of Acts has considered to be one of the finest um, descriptions of a sea voyage in the ancient world that is on record today. And um, he gets to Rome, and I, I, I can't say for sure, but the end of it, the book of Acts is 30 years long. It begins in about 32, it's some debate. It's either 29 years or 30 years. But so Paul would have, all the miracles and everything you read about in the book of Acts happened over a 30-year period of time. Began at Pentecost, when, and when Paul was saved, and then it shows his, his, his works and things that he did. Um, he will eventually be beheaded. Being beheaded is not the customary corporal punishment for a prisoner. That would be crucifixion. Or, in this case, this is going to be one, there's going to be 260-some people on a ship, and most of them are prisoners. Where they're going to end up is in the Colosseum. And um, this is where they get thrown, they have gladiators, you know, and thrown to the lions, and well, that's where a lot of these prisoners ended up. Not so with Paul. Paul was a Roman. And when my question that I wonder about, and I've, I've heard both sides, that he, he was, and he did give a witness to Nero. I can't confirm that from other reports, except that he said, Paul, when he was first called, you're going to speak before kings and people in high places. We know he spoke to, to Agrippa. Well, Nero is um, Caesar now in Rome. And I wonder if Paul ever witnessed a Caesar. Because, you know, the, the story is that Rome burned while Nero fiddled. He killed his mother. He killed his wife. He, play, he blamed the Christians for Rome's burning. And um, I wonder about that, if Paul had any influence in it. Can you imagine Paul saying, this, this is my last shot. I know I'm at the end of the road, so I'm going for it. And I believe that Paul laid a witness on Nero that even drove him more incensed, upset with this sect that would dare call anybody but Caesar their God. And um, so he blamed the Christians for Rome burning, but he took his own life when the entire Roman Senate turned against him. He feared for his life. He was considered crazy from early on. People can turn crazy when they have too much time, too much money, and too much power. Good place for an amen. It has a way of messing people up. And so Nero was, whether he had that confrontation with Nero, we don't know. But um, in Fox's Book of Martyrs, it clearly tells us that he was beheaded. Peter, we remember, was crucified, but on a cross upside down because he didn't feel it was he was worthy enough to um, um, die the way our Lord did. But Paul was a Roman citizen. Chapter twenty-seven, verse one. We find 
And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius. So he's sort of the the captain of the guard taking care of the prisoner. A centurion, Augustine uh, regiment. So entering a ship of this man, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, Eratokrix, uh, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Then the next day we landed at Sidon. So let's go to our map. Let's begin in Caesarea. And they're not taking the direct route that would be the, would be the quickest way to get to Rome. Um, but we find that the ship here uh, is close to the coastline and goes up the coast of Israel. So if you follow the map here, you can see at Caesarea they leave, and then it says they arrive at Sidon. Well, Sidon and Tyre are very, very close to each other. So if you know where Tyre is on the coast, that would have been their first place. We read in verse 3, the next day we landed. So one day's journey, and they let, verse 3, they land at Sidon. And uh, Julius treated Paul kindly, gave him liberty to go to his friends, receive care. And when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. So this is a time of year where there's going to be storms, so they're again staying close to um, um, the shore. You can see in verse 5, Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. So if you follow the map, you can see it goes over Cyprus and um, they end up on a place called Myra and we find that in verse um, verse 5, a city of Lycia. So that would be five and six. If you check on the map, you see that Myra is sort of a, a jumping off place. This was the place at which they changed ships. The centurion found a ship of Alexandra. We find that in um, six. It says, then the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. So they changed ships here. Um, Alexandria, that would be Egypt. So it's camped there, but it's on its way to Italy. Verses 7 and 8. And when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty, um, often I got my ink here and I can't quite make out that. that let's see. Um, whatever it is, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete of, off of Salmon. So we're now making our way, uh, making our way to Crete, 
And uh, you see where the ship from this point on goes up, goes down, goes up, goes down. Well, it's here. If we pick it up in verse um, 8, it said, passing it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. Um, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end in disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also for our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship uh, than the things that were spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable in winter, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, uh, a harbor of Crete, uh, opening towards the southwest and northwest and winter there. So look again at the island of Crete, and they want to see if um, uh, they could make the winter there. So that brings us to... um, I want to keep going all the way through verse 20 here, 27. And when the south winds blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete, but not long after a tempestuous headwind arose called uh, Euroclidon. Um, So what we have here is the name of it's actually a technical term. Luke is the author of um, Acts, and he is using a very technical navigational term for that particular day. It has to do with the north wind, and it actually came north by east. In other words, the storm came down out of Europe. This was winter time and the storm season, and uh, it would be like uh, we get when we get a real our cold weather, you know, we get a shot from Canada, you know, and it blows down, and we can get some good ones. Well, that's what's happening here, only we're in the Mediterranean Sea. I guess I just want to point out at this time, if you um, would draw a line, you went right to where they would end up in Rome. This is not the path you would take. But because of of the season, that's what happens. So... Um, they find themselves, started out good, looked like it was going to be smooth sailing. They sailed close by Crete, but not long after, there came this uh, the storm, we already read that. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. In other words, they just let her go. They couldn't control it. This, the winds were too strong. They couldn't keep it in the wind. So they're going up and down and up and down. And running under the shelter of the island called Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, fearing lest they would run aground on the citrus sands. Uh, 
uh, they struck sail, and so they were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, in other words, they were really tipping to the right and to the left, the next day they lightened the ship. Now this is what happens when you feel a ship is going down, you get rid of as much cargo as you can, so it doesn't hold the ship down. Then on the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. It's over. We should have never, we should have never set sail. And um, besides that, they were fasting. Um, uh, because of this, for 14 days, verse 21, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. Don't you hate it when somebody says, I told you so? <laughs> and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And then he changes the subject completely. Everybody there is concerned, it's over. We're going down. But then Paul comes up and said, and now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, don't be afraid, Paul. Um, Again, what we brought up last week is when he was encouraging Paul, Um, why would the Lord say to him, or this angel say to him here, don't be afraid? Well, because he was afraid. (laughs) Everybody's going down. And the Lord appears to him and says, don't worry about it. You're not going down. And you must be brought before Caesar. I guess that answers my question, huh? We're talking Caesar Nero here. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you, not only you, but all these prisoners. And I think we'll get to the number down here shortly, but it's over 260. Therefore, take heart, for I believe, God, uh, it will be just as he has told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. 23... I'm doing a side track here for a little application that we can apply personally for ourselves here, and it deals with storms. There's a lot of people going through a lot of different emotional changes right now um, with storms. Now, when he got in his abode, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. These are seasoned fishermen from Capernaum. This is what they did. They fished. They were in boats every day. And um, they were afraid for their life. And, of course, the Lord is so concerned about it, he's taking a nap in in the front of the boat. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're perishing. We're going down. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? 
Uh, he didn't say, boy, sure, good thing you woke me up in time because uh, you guys would have been goners for sure. I didn't say that. He says, where's your faith? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Here's my question. Did the Lord know when he went to take his little nap that there was going to be a big storm? Yeah, of course he did. And um, um, he wasn't concerned about it at all. The Lord led them into this storm. And it says, when we had come to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, there met him two demon-possessed men. This is the same story with in the other gospel where it says there was a demon-possessed man. Well, there's really two. One gospel says there's one, but it's, just, it's the land of the Gadarenes and it's the same uh, circumstances. And uh, this is where they were um, feeding the, the swine, so this would have been the same, same way. But when the Lord says we're leaving here and we're going there, there's no force in the universe that's ever going to stop that from happening. And you can rest in it. So what did the Lord say concerning storms of life? You're going to have storms in life. Matter of fact, he might direct you right into it for purposes that you're not even aware of. I could get really sidetracked here and tell you that this verse changed my life. But that would be an hour story, but most of you have heard it anyway. When the winds and the, even the winds and the sea obey him was a major scripture that the Lord personally gave me that actually drew me into... Um, staying in ministry because I wanted to turn around and go back after a short period of time. And the Lord um, gave me that verse standing underneath a a Billy Graham um, poster. I was in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Most of you know the story. Picture of the Sea of Galilee and this scripture was on it. Even the winds in a sea obey him. And I want to go home. I said, I quit. I'm going home. That's it. Yeah, well, even the winds of the sea obey him. I guess you're not, huh? So I was convicted, and I repented, and I kept vacuuming, because that's what I was doing at the time. So it's a very personal verse just for me. But for those who are preaching the prosperity doctrine or those that uh, believe that this is your best life now, Um, and do everything they can to tell you that once you become a Christian, man, your problems are over. And actually, just the opposite is true. Now you have not just one nature to deal with. You've got to deal with two of them. And they're at war with each other. The the flesh fights against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. It's 24-7, nonstop, every day. And we need to explain that to people, um, that... The Lord is going to directly lead you into a storm to see how much faith you have. You're going to trust me in this one? I knew he called me, and I thought, no, I'm going to give up, go back. And um, um, it was, uh, like I said, a very personal note for me. Uh, Let's go back to, we're going to be coming back to Matthew, but let's go back and read... um, Get back to Acts 27. Here, Paul tells all these men who are on board, don't worry about it. The Lord talked to me, and 
The Lord said he's gonna get us from point A to point B at the storm and sea. Therefore, take heart. Oh, by the way, we're gonna lose a ship, but you're gonna be saved. Now verse 27, uh, we read, but when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. Um, I suppose people just have this, uh, this feeling, we're getting close to land here. And so they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. Well, that's letting a rope go down until it hits the bottom and you don't know how deep the water is. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again, only this time it was 15 fathoms, so it had changed five. They were get, it was getting shallower, and the men became fearful. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they let down the skiff, now I want to make a distinction here between the sailors and the prisoners. Um, the prisoners would have, would have um, um, probably been chained like Paul. Um, the sailors saying, we're getting out of here on the lifeboat. Under pretense of putting out anchors. In other words, they say, well, we've got to put out some anchors over here, but what they're really doing is letting down the lifeboat, and they were going to try to hightail it. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14. Another little sidetrack here. Unless you stay in the boat, you won't make it. And I see this as a picture of um, uh, one part of part of what we're we're going to be doing on Sunday is talking about as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be when the Son of Man comes again for His Church, and we find that the Ark was a type of salvation for Noah's family. And it says when the family was in, the Lord shut the door. And then they went up, judgment was done, and then they came back down. And I believe the ship is a type of Jesus Christ. And my argument for that, if you've never heard me say it before, is in the same chapter. It actually tells us that the ark came to rest on the 14th day of Nizon, and when you go and, and look of what's so important about, oh, on the 17th day of Nisan, you say, why in the world would you put the date where it landed and the date that it landed? Well, the 17th of Nisan is three days after the 14th of Nisan. I just want you guys to see how smart I am here. 13, 14, three days. So what was the 14th of Nisan? Well, it's called Passover. It's when Jesus would have died on the cross. Anything of significance happened three days later? Yeah, the first resurrection. And I totally believe 
The ark is a picture. And it's, it's a picture of salvation. And only those in the boat are saved. That's what Paul is telling these soldiers who are prisoners. Hey guys, unless you stay on this boat, you're not going to make it. And um, so that let's, let's look at another situation where it's in a storm. And we find in uh, verse 20, let's pick it up in verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Um, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So here we are in the middle of another storm. Does the Lord know the storm is going to take place? Of course he does. Now it was the fourth watch, or between 3 and 6 a.m. of the night, and Jesus went to them walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. Hold on a second. We're in the middle of this storm, and you're telling us to be of good cheer? Uh, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then Peter, being Peter, answered and said, Lord, if it's you, then command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. He was duplicating what the Lord was doing. It's impossible to walk on water, by the way. I thought I'd try it once when I was on the Sea of Galilee. It doesn't work. (laughs) And when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Here's my point again. Um, In this world, especially in these last of the last days, there's going to be more and more pressure being put on true Bible-believing Christians. Again, I read today the Gallup poll that says um, less than 50% of people are not going to church, and uh, the younger generation is pretty much checked out altogether. Why? Because there's a a lot of storms, and um, sometimes when you visit a church and it's all about prosperity or all about Christianity being the best thing for you, no more problems. Your life's going to be a rose garden, so to speak. I'm going here purposely to tell you the Lord is going to lead you into storms, and I believe we're in one right now. And um, I'll confess before you, I I get up some days and I go, I I can't believe what's happening. And then yesterday, I was totally blown away. I, I mean, having Russia, Putin say, look, you fly into Syria and you're at war, quote, unquote. I'll show you the quote on Sunday. And um, so we find Ezekiel 38 literally unfolding before our eyes. And um, it's an exciting time to be alive. Um, The thing is, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. 
So we have several miracles here. Jesus is walking on the water. Peter's walking off on the water. He's doing great until he does what? He takes his eyes off the Lord. And I know you've heard that application so many times, but it is so true. When you're in the storm, you have to wait on the Lord. You have to be still. Know that there isn't anything that's going to come into your life that doesn't pass through the sovereignty of God's will for your life. So you can be at peace no matter what the the circumstances are. 32 through 34 of Acts. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes off the skiff and they let it fall away. Paul said, if you guys get in that boat, you're not going to make it. And they were pretending they were laying down anchors. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Imagine not eating for fourteen days, you'd be pretty weak. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is your survival, since not a hair of your head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and when he had broken it he began to eat, then they were all encouraged, and they took food themselves. And in all, there were here, here's the number, there were 276 people on the ship altogether. So that's a good number of people. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. So the idea now is to cut loose the anchors and see if they can make it to sand. And they let the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile losing the rudders and rope, and they hoisted the mainsail, and the wind made for shore. But striking a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. So this is what the Lord told them. You're not going to have a ship, but you will make it alive. Now the ship is falling apart. Now the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest get on one of those broken up boards and some broken pieces of the ship. And so it was, and they all escaped safely to land. God kept his word. God appeared to Paul, said, don't worry about it, Paul. You're going to lose the ship, but everybody here, not just you, is going to make it safely alive. Brings us to our last chapter in the book of Acts. This is our final study in the book of Acts, following Paul from Melita to Rome. When Paul arrives in Rome, he ministers first to Jews and then to Gentiles. The narrative is not concluded but breaks off with Paul preaching in Rome. The acts of the Holy Spirit have been uh, finished, are, are not being finished even in our day, the book of Acts will continue. We're living in what we call the church age. And the Holy Spirit has been at work um, 
and it will continue to be at work, cutting people's heart, convicting them of their sin, showing them their need for salvation. And that was, that's the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to convict you of your sin, so you'll call out on the name of the Lord. And then he becomes your comforter. And then he promises never to leave you no matter what circumstances you might find yourself in. He was in the boat sleeping when the storm was going on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were going through a fiery trial. Amen? (laughs) Through in three, the guys that threw them in, they all died. And the king looks in, he says, we threw in three, but I see four. And the fourth one looks just like the son of God. So the Lord is with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery flame. And the only thing that was destroyed is what bound them. They went in bound, but they came out free from that fiery trial. So as we get into this last chapter here, now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. So if you... um, um, go up and down in a squiggly little line here, you'll see Malta, the small little island. And it tells us that the natives there showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because it was cold, so that they decided to make fire. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper or a snake came out because of the heat and fastened on to his hand. So Paul gets bit by a snake here. And when a native saw that the creature was hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this guy's a murderer, whom though he escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. So they knew it was poisonous and they knew that Paul was a dead man, period. But he shook it off the creature into the fire, and he suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their mind and said that he was a god instead. (laughs) From murderer to God, all in a couple minutes. So to say the least, they were superstitious people. And we find um, here that um, uh, it gives me a chance to expose why some people will never be involved with the church because of some of the crazy things that people will do in some churches. There are certain Pentecostal churches that have snake handling services. Anybody here hear of uh, these type of churches? Okay, and the reason they do it is to show that they have faith. Uh, what they're really doing uh, is um, uh, really tempting the Lord. Uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 16, and I'll show you where, you where they get this. Mark 16, picking it up in verse 15. This is the last chapter of Mark. And let's pick it up in verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And this is where these types of churches get this from, this verse right here, verse 18. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Uh, They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And so um, Paul was not tempting the Lord. Um, Evidently, the pile of uh, wood that Paul was throwing in there didn't realize that there was a snake in it. And when the snake hit the, hit the fire or felt the heat, it lashed out, uh, lashed out on Paul. But Paul wasn't trying to show that he could be healed by being bitten from a snake. But these churches do. And every once in a while, you don't hear about it too much anymore, you'll hear about the guy that died doing this, taking a venomous snake and letting it bite him, and then he's, then he's dead. And um, that is what we call tempting the Lord. All right, let's go back to Acts 28. So now um, they're they're on this island. They thought Paul was God, verse seven. Now in that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us, entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lies sick of a fever and dysentery. And Paul went into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. Well, what did we just read? That's what uh, Jesus told him to do. Heal the sick, cast out demons. And um, so he healed this guy's father. And so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us many in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things that were necessary. In other words, they came in with nothing. And as they're leaving, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days there. So if you make your way up on the map, you can see where they leave Um, and they go up to where Syracuse is. From there, we circled around and reached um, Regium, and after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to uh, Petulio, uh, where we found brethren, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we went toward Rome. And from there... We met brethren that heard about us, and they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and the three inns. Uh, when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And it's the same. You can go anywhere in the world, and if you meet real, true, born-again believers, it's like you've known them their whole life. You have that in common. They never met each other before, and they... They took courage. Um, the rest of the chapter was 16. 
we see here the kind of liberty that Paul had as a prisoner. Apparently, he could have quite large crowds come to his home. However, there was always a soldier there to guard or watch him. Again, we see that the Apostle Paul used his background in the Old Testament to persuade the Jews concerning Jesus. As always, there was a double response to the message. Some believed and others did not. Remember, Paul wanted to go to Rome, but he didn't go. And now, um, at the end, he's going to spend the rest of his days. And so let's finish out our chapter here. Verse 16 through 20, we'll go. Now, when we had come to Rome, and I have to admit, Rome is in quite the place. It is an incredible place to visit and to see, especially the Colosseum. But what impressed me most about Rome was the catacombs. There's three major catacombs that surround Rome. And um, this is when the church went underground for survival reasons. Because if you were caught otherwise, you were in the Colosseum, um, you know, being attacked by animals or, or whatever. But not for Paul. When Paul came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to the men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs, nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, they wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. And for this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. I believe the prophets. I believe the Old Testaments. I'm a Pharisee of a Pharisee. I was born, a f- his dad obviously was Roman. How he got it, we don't know. But Paul says he was born Roman. That means his parents were Roman. And they said to him, we neither receive letter from Judea concerning you, nor anything of the brethren who came reporting of you of any evil of you, But we desire to hear from you what you think concerning this sect. We know that it is spoken against everywhere. He's referring to Christians. So when they had pointed him a day, many came to hear him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. My friends, that is a long Bible study. (laughs) From morning till evening. And they stayed. Why did they stay? They wanted to know the word of God. And why Paul was being treated the way he was. And some were persuaded. Now here we go. What happens when the gospel is presented? 
It brings division. Jesus said, don't think for a minute I've come to bring peace. I have not. I've come to bring a sword. That in one's own house there will be one that will be for me and another one will be against me. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken. They were going, yep, that's true. Yeah, that was prophesied in Isaiah 53. Uh, Psalm 22 had a lot to do about the um, crucifixion. And it was make, making sense to them. And so they believed. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul uh, had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. Again, now, whenever we get to an Old Testament prophecy, I'm going to point it out to show you how important it is to teach the whole counsel of God, all of it. And now he's quoting from Isaiah 6, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear, but you won't understand. And seeing you will see, yet not perceive. For the heart of the people has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And what happened the last time Paul brought up the word Gentiles? <laughs> they listened until. And when they heard these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute amongst themselves. I like to say for every two Jewish people, there are three opinions. <laughs> uh, they loved to debate. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. But remember, he was also in chains. Can you imagine? Because he will, he will refer to it, um, I think, in Timothy. And he's telling Timothy to, to greet some people. And he says, especially of those in the court, meaning um, who would have been servants of Caesar. Um, he was chained up to some of these guys. What do you do when you can't get away from Paul? well you're going to come away saved sooner or later and that's what happened here two years in his own rented house and received all who came to him so he had this opportunity and the last verse of our study in the book of Acts preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence no one forbidding him so Paul had an open shot to witness to everybody with complete freedom to do so. We're going to close by looking at Acts chapter 1, the first verse, as we conclude. Remember I told you it was over a 30-year period of time? And I want to close with this thought. Paul's going to die in Rome. And the book of Acts is the birth of the church. And in verse 1 we read, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began, I wonder I want to just start here, began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. It had a beginning. And uh, the things that Jesus began to do. 
and he is going to continue to do it until the book of Acts ends with Paul preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. The record is not concluded. The Holy Spirit continues to work today. Uh, The acts of the Holy Spirit have not been finished even in our day. The book of Acts will end with the rapture. My friends, I'm gonna leave you with a little teaser for Sunday. It's late. And Ezekiel 38 and Isaiah 17 could happen tomorrow. I mean that seriously. And uh, I think the timing of this is not a coincidence that we just happen to be finishing the book And uh, this is the beginning of the church age and it will end with the rapture. So we're living at the end of (laughs) the last of the last of the last days and we're just watching it unfold and we get it. But the good news is we know what's going to happen. The world is gonna go through a terrible seven year period of time and um, we're not gonna be around for any of that. It began here, verse one. And it ends, hopefully, before the end of next week. Let's put it that way. (laughs) So, um, as we conclude this book, the book of Acts, we will be going into Romans, but I do not want to teach chapter one of Romans. Matter of fact, it's a two-part, it should be a two-part Bible study. There's so much on the importance of uh, salvation and creation in the first half of Romans 1. Romans 1 will probably be a two-part study. So with that being said, let's stand and we'll close. Lord, as we wait upon you tonight and uh, we see the, um, the reality that something we're gonna get to meet this guy and um, what an encouragement and a uh, um, a blessing the book of Acts has been to us. Thank you, Lord, that you have not hidden these things from us, that you've laid it all out for us. One of the realities is that we are going to go through storms in life. But the good news is you will never leave us or forsake us. You'll be with us in the fire, in the boat, in the storms, walking with us all the way because your will is sovereign. And we should always, as the word tells us, pray not my will be done, but your will be done, just no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. So Lord, I pray for these precious saints tonight and those watching live stream, and that um, you'd keep our eyes open and focused on, you have told us to watch and to be found watching and waiting. And as we see, again, the, the Middle East, um, fulfilling Bible prophecy. We live in exciting times. So we give you the rest of this night. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen.